With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's here. Jerry's back, everybody, looking well-rested and sun-kissed and everything. And this is Stuff You Should Know. She's like a beautiful juicy orange that's right that's right chuck that's a a really apt description ready to be squoes i wish i could squeeze her but we're still not squeezing uh no not in this pandemic are you crazy you out of your mind no no squeezing um yeah even robert robert plant wouldn't let you anywhere near him uh okay chuck figure out that joke robert the squeeze my, my lemon. <laughs> the lemon song? No, till the juice runs down my leg. Yeah, that's the lemon song, right? No, I don't think so. I think it is. I don't think it is. Okay. I think it's. Uh, I don't think it is the lemon song, man. I think it's whole lot okay. of love. It's whole lot of love. Mm, all right. It's maybe the dirtiest thing that was ever said in like a top ten song. Uh, okay. Regardless. <laughs> I'll just let the emails take care of this. I really think, no, the lemon song is, um. Is oh, I love those lemons. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, the lemon song is all about, um, how, uh, how you, how you have friends, like you want to have friends and like friends are good to have. Okay. Yeah. I may be all wrong. No, I think it's a whole lot of love. Yeah, it is. I'm a hundred percent sure, buddy. All right. Well, I encourage you not to Google the lyrics then. Well, we um, we could ask our good friend and um, stuff you should know writer Ed Grabinowski, the Grabster. Oh, look at that segue! Because he is in a band and has been for a while. We've mentioned it before, Space Lord, which yeah. has just a super cool Zeppelin esque sound to them. Um, and they just they released, cover some Zeppelin too. But they do here and there, and um, they just released a new single. Which you can find on Bandcamp by searching Space Lord. Not the Space Lords. <laughs> no, not Vinny and the Space Lords. Yeah, Space Lord. Just look for Space Lord with some cool uh, graphics, and that'll you know that's Ed. You'll know it's the Grabster. But he, uh, yeah, good stuff. We also have a, a game out that Trivial Pursuit made. Yeah, we should plug our own stuff every now and then. We just did. Yes, it is a co-branded game with Trivial Pursuit from Hasbro, and it is not a Trivial Pursuit game that you are used to. Uh, it is a Stuff You Should Know game, 
that Trivial Pursuit was happy to uh, co-brand with. So just uh, what I don't want is emails that are like, guys, this isn't Trivial Pursuit. This is some other different game. You're always worried about the emails, aren't you? Oh, I've learned to just always ignore the them, let them roll off, roll off my back. I know. What? Like, I'm disappointed in you guys for this. <laughs> I haven't even listened to the episode, but I'm disappointed about this. You just got like, one of those. Just, Did you see that? <laughs> it just rolls off your back, yeah. Yeah, those are those are always great. I didn't listen, but... <laughs> <laughs> Here's what was wrong. <laughs> I wrote that person back, actually. I was like, we actually kind of did exactly what you hoped we would do. And they're like, oh, sorry for being presumptuous. <laughs> anyway. Oh, all is forgiven. Yeah. So um, we're, we're talking today about uh, bias, Chuck. And I, I want to set the scene a little bit because, you know... Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm always, like, harping about is, like, the death of expertise, right? Oh, sure. And it's a real problem. Like, this idea that science can't be trusted, that people who go and spend a decade or, or more learning uh, about a specific thing that they go out and become an expert yeah. in, or that's their profession, that's their training, um, that those people, what they have to say is is basically meaningless or that it's it's no better than somebody on the internet's opinion about so that specific subject that that person spent 10 or 12 years being trained to, to be an expert in. Like, that kind of stuff to me is, like, super dangerous. Like, it, it's, it's an ero- there's an erosion of something, and it's a, an erosion of intelligence to start with. But it's also an erosion of just believing in facts and knowing that you're not being taken for a ride or hustled. It is a huge, enormous problem that we're just beginning to wake up to and is still unfolding. It's not like it happened and now we're, like, reeling from it. It's still happening in real Uh, time. And it is a massive, huge issue. One of the biggest issues that that humanity faces, I think, because— it encompasses so many other large issues like climate change, existential risks, the pandemic, um, politics. All of them kind of fall under this this erosion of belief and facts and that there are people out there who know more than you do. Um, it's a big problem. Yeah. Imagine being someone who studied and researched something intensely for 10 or 15 years uh, met with uh, when presenting facts to be met with. I don't know about that. That's a response I hear a lot in the South. Yeah. Or that they saw something on YouTube that flatly contradicts that. And it's like, that. it doesn't matter. I, what you just said is ridiculous. That somebody posted something on YouTube and that that, like, that has as much weight as what somebody who spent 10 or 12 years studying this very thing has to say about it. Like knows exactly what they're talking about, has to say about it. It's, it's maddening. Yeah, there's there's something about people from the South in general, I think, that are in this group that I have literally heard that response from a lot of different people when I've been like, oh, no, 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 here are the facts, actually. And then when presented with something that they can't refute, they say, I don't know about that. <laughs> and like, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. That's different than the people I've encountered. The people I encountered, like their brow furrows and they start pointing fingers and their their tone goes up. Like, you are you hanging out at the country club or something? <laughs> I think it's uh, different types of people that, you know, there's ignorance and then there's also people that actually think they're better informed that will fire back with YouTube clips. Right. So the reason I brought that up is because <clears throat> one of the reasons that that is being allowed to exist, that that does exist. I think it's a 
it's a reaction to something else that's going on simultaneously, which is there are a lot of experts out there who are performing really sloppy science, sometimes outright fraudulent science, mm-hmm. and they're frittering away whatever faith the general public or society has in their expertise and in their profession. And there are a ton of scientists out there. I would say the vast majority, by far, of scientists are legitimate, upstanding, upright dedicants to science, right? That's where they that's where they place their that's where they hang their hat, that's where their heart is. That's that's what they believe in and that's what they work to support. But science has like kind of a, a problem, Chuck, in that it's allowing way too much for bias, which is what we're going to talk about, to creep into science um, and undermine science and basically produce papers that are just useless and trash. And there's a whole lot of reasons for it. But it's, a, it's something that needs to be addressed if we're ever going to get back on a footing with a, a faith in experts and expertise and just facts, that there are such things as objective facts. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's financially related, whether it's uh, a lack of funding, a desire for more funding, a desire just to keep your your uh, your lab running and people paid on staff, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, all this stuff is understandable. You, you want to keep doing this work, but you can't let that get in the way. It's like it's like in Rushmore at the end when Margaret Yang faked the results of that science experiment because she didn't want it to be wrong. <laughs> you know? I don't remember what um I don't remember that part. Was that like a deleted scene? No, no, no. It was in the end when they meet up and he's flying the uh I think he's flying the kite with Dirk. Right. And she's talking about her science fair project and he was really impressed with it and she was like, I faked the results. And the reason why <laughs> was because because she didn't want to be wrong. Uh and I think a lot of times people will get into a certain body of research or data to, because they want to prove a certain thing. And if they can't, it might be really hard to live with that. So that weighs into it. Uh, Money for personal gain, uh, advancing your career, you know, publish or perish, that whole thing. Like we're going to talk about all this, but there are a lot of reasons that it's been allowed to creep in, but all of it is at the disservice of their, the fundamentals of what they base their careers on to begin with. Yeah, it's at the it's at the disservice of science itself, yeah. right? Because the whole point of science and then <clears throat> scientific publishing, the whole publishing industry, um, is to to basically create a hypothesis, test your hypothesis, and then share the results with the world. And that's ideally what would happen because you're building this body of scientific knowledge. But money and corporate interests and academic publishing have all kind of come in and taken control of this whole thing. And as a result, a lot of the stuff that gets published are trash papers that shouldn't be published. A lot of the really good papers that don't come up with uh, sexy results don't get published. And then, like you said, um, people using science for personal gain, there are a, uh, a very small cadre of thoroughly evil people who are willing to use their scientific credentials to create doubt in the general public to to prevent like people from understanding that climate change was real for 20 years or um, that fo- fossil fuels actually do contribute to, to uh, anthropogenic climate change. 
But what we're mainly focusing on is like bias in the in the sense that people carrying out studies are human beings and the human beings are flawed. We're just flawed. And we bring those flaws to our studies and that you really have to work hard at rooting those flaws and those biases out to produce a really good, thorough scientific study with good, reliable results that can be reproduced by anybody using the same methods. Um, And that science is just starting to wake up to the idea that it is really biased and it needs to take these into account in order to, to progress forward from the point that it's at right now. Which is tenuous, I think. What Perhaps is? more tenuous than ever. The point that science is at? I think so. Science isn't going away. It's not going anywhere. It's probably the greatest no, achievement not. humans have ever come up with, right? No. It's not going anywhere, but it is a terrible position that it's in, and it's going to take some genuine leadership in the scientific community from a bunch of different quarters and a bunch of different fields to basically step up and be like, guys, this is really bad and we need to change it now. And a lot of people need to be called out. And science typically shies away from naming names and calling out by name fraudulent scientists because scientists seem to like to um, suppose the best in people, which is not always the case. Right. And having said all of this, there could we could root out every bias and 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 really clean up the scientific publishing community a hundred percent. And there's still a set a certain set of people in this country and in the world who that wouldn't matter to and would still shut down facts and because it doesn't fit their narrative. So. For sure, but Chuck, can't those be people have always—they've always been there, oh, sure. right? And they're always going to be there. Exactly. There's always—it's just contrarians. They—they they are. You can call them free thinkers. You can call them stubborn. You can call free thinkers, them no. purposefully, purposefully ignorant. Who knows? They're always going to exist. The problem that this crisis that science finds itself in right now is that it's allowed that that population to grow and grow and like people who otherwise didn't ever really question science have been allowed to kind of trickle into that fold and that those are the people that we should be worried about the ones who would would know better if they believed in science again right and our way into this is to talk about different kinds of biases in true stuff you should know fashion a top 10 that is not a top 10 that's exactly right we ate into at least three in this intro alone. and hopefully shining a light on some of this stuff mm-hmm. people at least be more aware of different biases and uh well yeah you know the first one is is good old confirmation bias i mean these aren't ranked because confirmation bias would probably be number one <laughs> as far as people's awareness of it but uh there are different examples um that people use for confirmation bias and i, I kind of enjoyed the one from the house stuff works article even though it was from 1903, uh, after x-rays were discovered in Germany, there was a French scientist named René Blondelot. Yeah? Yeah. He looked at x-rays, he said, moi aussi. (laughs) Well, who said, hey, I see N-rays. I've discovered N-rays. And everyone's like, what's an N-ray? He said, well, it's like a corona when electricity discharges from a crystal, and you can only see it in your peripheral vision. Uh And... American Robert Wood laid the wood and said, I'm going to come to your (laughs) lab and check this out and secretly remove the crystals during one of the experiments. And uh, Blonde Lot still saw these N-rays. And so that's confirmation bias. He wanted to see those N-rays. And then later, even though it was disproved, other French scientists 
supposedly published papers or published papers based on that research because they wanted it to be true. So that's what confirmation bias is. It's when you're starting out with a hypothesis that is going to shape the methodology methodology of your study to to confirm it. Right. And then it can also occur where you're um you you're interpreting info um, to fit your hypothesis. So you're seeking out stuff that supports your hi- hypothesis and then the stuff that you is that's just there in front of you, the results that are there in front of you, you're like, aha, this thing proves that those N rays actually exist. Um, or this phenomenon cannot be due to anything but N rays. Therefore, N rays exist. All of it's confirmation bias. And that, like you said, that's number one because that's not just a scientific bias. I mean, like that is, that's like, Every human uses confirmation bias and that it's twofold. We we avoid contradictory information because we um, don't like to be wrong. And we find information that confirms our point of view because we like to be right. That's, That's right. confirmation bias. And it's everywhere among everyone. That's right. Although I will say, I know it happens a lot politically, but myself and the people that I congregate with uh, – question their own leaders as much as they do leaders from the other parties. Well, that's good. It's very good to do. And I, I don't no, know. If, there shouldn't be sacred calves in politics. That's a bad jam. Well, no. And it's like, I, I've always been, been like at the forefront of calling out my own party's wrongs and saying, uh-huh. no, 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 that's, you need to do better than that. Whereas I see a lot of other people in other situations truly bury and ignore those things. Uh, because they don't, you know, just don't want to face that. Yeah, and it's not like a, it's not even like I don't want to face it. It just doesn't fit their worldview, so they just don't include it. It just gets tossed out. But the the point is, is like, it's not an active process necessarily. Right. I think we should probably take our first break. I think so too, Chuck. All right, we'll be right back and talk about sampling bias right after this. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Driver's panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors, all the parts 
parts you need at the prices you want. Guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Drivers Into Cars. Available wherever you get podcasts. Hey everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. All right, Chuck, we're back, and we're coming back with um, something called sampling bias, which is, it turns out, um, a subtype of a larger thing called selection bias. Oh, and one other thing we should say, we kind of got into it before I could say this. There are different stages in a study where bias can occur. It can happen in, like, the planning, the pre-study phase, um, and and uh, it can happen during the actual uh, study, and then it can happen after the study as well. And so when we're talking about any kind of selection bias, including sampling bias, this is pre-study uh, bias, where when you're actually setting up the study, this bias is where this is where the bias is going. Yeah, be. and you know what? I think it also bears saying that bias is you have to work really hard to avoid it because it's it's almost like a disease that's always trying to get involved. And it's not mm-hmm. like, just do better, everybody, and just quit being biased. It's like, it's way more complicated than that because it is always knocking at the door, like you said, in all three phases, trying to sneak in there. And it takes a lot of work in all three phases to avoid it. So it, it's not as, I don't want it to come across this as easy as us just saying like, you shouldn't do that, stop it. No, but I, the first step is to recognizing that there's a lot of bias and different kinds of bias that are yeah. just sitting there waiting for a, a scientist. And then 
if you start admitting that it's there, you can start being on the lookout for it and you can start adjusting for it. And then other people who read your papers or hear, you know, read news articles about your papers can be on the lookout for that kind of thing. Too. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, sampling bias is your, you know, your sample set not being accurate and a good representation of the whole. Uh, a lot of times you'll find this um, in either studies that are really small scale because you don't have a large sample and you don't have the kind of money like near you, like maybe you work for university. So you work with university students as your first sample set who are not indicative of anything, but, you know, people 18 to 21 years old or so. Now, remember we talked about weird, Western, educated, industrialized, yeah. rich, and democratic. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. It's like, I mean, it's a, it's a decent place to start if you don't have mon much money and you want to get the ball rolling. It's not like, oh, you shouldn't do university studies at all using students. But those findings definitely don't represent the, the, the wider nation. And it needs to grow right. and get more funding if you want to actually have a legitimate claim to something. Another way that sampling bias can come up is from, like, the, the group that you're recruiting from. Like, if you're doing uh, a strictly online survey, but you're trying to apply your findings to the wider society, that's just not going to happen because there's so many people who aren't internet savvy enough to take an internet survey. Like, by, by nature, you are a little savvier than the average person if you're hanging out on the internet <laughs> and taking a survey. And then also kind of tangential that I like to tell myself that at least. Um, and then tangential that is something called self-selection bias, which is where the people who say, let's say you're doing a study on wellness and, you know, what um, eating tuna can do for your health. Um, people who are interested in wellness and health are going to be much more likely to volunteer yeah. for that study than people who couldn't care less about health and have no desire whatsoever to further science's understanding of what makes you healthy. So you would have to go out and find those people and recruit them rather than just relying on the people who volunteered based on the flyer you put up in the student right. union. Or, you know, study all financial demographics or poll all financial demographics rather than just and, you know, sometimes it's the methodology in which they do try and recruit people, steers them in that direction unknowingly that I know in the right. article they talked about the 1936 presidential campaign uh, with Roosevelt and Alf Landon, Republican Alf Landon. They were doing polling with like country club <laughs> rosters and uh, people who drove cars and stuff at the time. That was kind of a luxury. So it was all out of whack. Everyone's like, Landon's right. going to win in a landslide. It's because you just kind of basically stuck your polling to, uh, you know, I don't know about wealthy individuals, but people who are a little more well off. And I think um, we talked about that in our polling episode, that, that yeah. fiasco with polling. I also saw one more, too, that I want to mention because it has a really great anecdote attached to it. It's called survivorship bias, where when you're studying something, say, like, business or something, you're you're probably going to just be looking at the extant businesses, the businesses that have survived 20 years, 30 years, 50 years or something like that. And you're not taking into account all of the failures. So when you put together like a prognosis for business in America, it might have a sunnier outlook than it should because all you're looking at are the ones that managed to survive and thrive. And that's survivorship bias. And did you see that, that anecdote about yeah. the World War II fighter pilots? It was actually pretty funny because they studied uh, planes that had been returned, that had been fired upon, but managed to get back safely. 
And they were like, well, let's look at all these different bullet holes and where this plane was hit. And let's beef up all those areas on the body. And a mathematician named Abraham Wald said, uh, no, those are the places where they got shot and did okay. What you should really do is find these planes that actually went down and beef up those sections of the plane. Exactly. <laughs> and that's survivorship bias. It's just it's failing to take into account the failures that have to do with what you're trying to study. What about channeling bias? Channeling bias is another kind of selection bias. Did you get this one? It wasn't the best example of channeling bias. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got it. Okay. All right. Did, did you not get it? I got it, but it took a lot of work before I finally did. Well, it's basically when, let's say you have a patient and they're like, their degree of illness might influence what group they're put into. So mm-hmm. if a doctor, if a surgeon was trying to study outcomes of a particular surgery, they might, because they're surgeons and they want to help people out, they may uh, perform that surgery on maybe younger, healthier people who might have better outcomes than someone who is in a different, like, higher age group. Right. And the the article just kind of ends it there. And I was like, so? <laughs> What's the problem? And I finally found this example where where it says, like, okay, let's say you're studying a new uh, heartburn medicine or something, or something to treat like uh, like GERD. And it's new, it's hardcore, it's cutting edge. Um, and the people who are likeliest to get this new hardcore um, antacid are the ones who are probably in worse shape, right? So say they're on the verge of going to the ER anyway. Well, if you look back at all of the people who've ever been prescribed this new hardcore antacid, you're going to see like a lot of them ended up in the ER, even though it had nothing to do with this hardcore antacid. And then similarly, the people who have so-so GERD, it's not particularly bad, they'll probably be prescribed the old drug, the standby that everybody knows is fine, that's going to work. So if you compare the old drug and the new drug, it looks like the old drug is super safe, but the new drug will put you into the ER. Whereas um, that's channeling. You've channeled different different people with different prognoses into different groups, and it they're kind of pitted against each other um, in an in a effort to obscure the truth. If you wanted to really know the genuine health outcomes for that antacid, you would have to give it to people with not-so-bad GERD and people with really bad GERD and see what happens, see if the ER visits continue uh, for people who wouldn't otherwise be going to the ER. Well, yeah, you, you want to find the outcome sense? for everyone. Right. And not just for you. Like, if you're debating surgery— you're like, oh, well, it says, shows really good outcomes. You're like, well, yeah, but who are they operating on? Right, right, yes. So I, I would like to invite anyone um, who got what I was saying or got channeling because of what I was saying, I invite you to email and let me know. I'm doing like a little bit of surveys here, and I'd like to know if I confuse things more or make it more understandable. Well, but I know it's funny either way. I got that part. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out if it's understandable. But here, with your methodology, you're talking about a Stuff You Should Know listener, who by nature is smarter than your average bear. <laughs> well, I'm not going to f- publish it. I'm going to file drawer it either way. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. what a teaser. Uh, question order bias is the next one that is, uh, and this is mainly obviously with um, when you're just doing a, a, like polling and stuff or like an online survey. Or, you know, it could be just asking people a set of questions, like in a social science uh, research set. And 
the way you order things can affect the outcome. And this is nothing at all. Like everything from the brain's tendency to organize information into patterns to the brain uh, simply paying attention more and being more interested early on. Like I know there was one, uh, the general social survey was a big long-term study of American attitudes. And in 1984, they were asked to identify the three most important qualities for a child to have. And they were given a list of these qualities. Honesty was just listed higher on the list. Uh, when it was, it was picked 66% of the time. When it was further down on the list, it's 48% important. <laughs> and that's simply because people are just reading this right. list that are like, yeah, well, these look good to me. Honesty is important. And then, yeah, by the time they got down, you know, th- three quarters of the way through the list, they'd started thinking about what they were going to have for dinner or Yeah, people get pooped when you're giving them lists of stuff. Or you can prime people and get them all sort of worked up. Like if you have a question like, uh, during the Trump administration, how mad were you at that guy about stuff he did? And you're like, super (laughs) mad. And then you're like, well, how did you feel generally about how your life was uh, affected during his administration? Yeah, You might say, it was awful. Right. Whereas if they hadn't have asked that first question, they were just like, what was your life like from 2000? I'm blocking out the dates. What? 2016 to 2020. Yeah. You might say, oh, you know, it wasn't, it was okay. So, so, (laughs) meh. I ate a lot of sandwiches. (laughs) Just over those four years, though. Right. Um, Yeah. So, and like you said, that's priming, which is a big, it's a big thing that you have to worry about when you're doing any kind of survey. Um, So, there's some of the ways that you can combat that. You can randomize your question order. Um, Sometimes you'll have a survey where one question is predicated on a previous question. So, one thing you might want to do is um, ask that set of questions in a few different ways um, so that, that, yeah, so that you can kind of maybe um, compare the answers to all three, add them up and divide them by three, and there's your average answer kind of thing. Um, There's a lot of things you can do to kind of, I guess, um, manipulate to demanipulate your uh, respondent when you're doing a survey like that. Manipulate to demanipulate. Look it up. You won't find anything on it, but you could look it up still. (laughs) Oh, it's a Roxy Music album. Interesting. (laughs) Wow, Chuck. Wow. Nice work. Yeah, that was great. Uh, What's next? So with question order bias, we've entered the during the study kind of bias. Like this is is why you're actually conducting the study. And so is interviewer bias. Um, And interviewer bias, it's kind of like, well, question order bias is, has to do more with the study design, but it, it's a bias that emerges during the study. Interviewer bias just straight up is in the middle of the study, and it has to do with the, the person actually asking the questions in an interview. Um, mm-hmm. It can also, I think, apply to somebody conducting uh, like the um, like a, 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 a clinical trial on a drug if they know whether somebody is getting placebo or not, it might affect their behavior. But ultimately what it is is the, the person who's wearing the white lab coat is influencing the outcome of the, mm-hmm. uh, of the study just through their behavior, through their tone of voice, through the way that they're asking a question. Sometimes it can be really overt and like, let's say, um, like a super devout Christian is, is you know, doing a study on whether how many what part of the population believes Jesus saves 
And they might be like, you know, <laughs> geez, don't, do you think Jesus saves is the question? Don't you? Like it seems like it, huh? That kind of thing would be a pretty extreme <laughs> example, but it's, it's sometimes how you understand things is in the absurdities, you know? Yeah, I thought this example in the House of Works article was kind of funny. It was about just like a medical questionnaire where the interviewer knows that the subject has a disease that they're talking about, and they may probe more intensely for the known risk factors, Mm -hmm. and they gave smoking as an example. And it said, so they may say something like, are you sure you've never smoked? Never? Not even once? Admit it! (laughs) Like, if I heard that coming from a researcher— even without knowing a lot about this, I would say, what what kind of a researcher are you? Yeah. You, like, you, it seems like you're looking for an answer. You should you should say you are ethically compromised. <laughs> or even facial expressions or, you know, body language, all that stuff <laughs> weighs in. An I don't know why. Eyebrow. Like, why don't they just have the uh, robots, Alexa or Google or Siri or somebody ask them? Well, that's one good thing about something like an internet survey is, like, it's it's just questions. And as long as you design the questions and you randomize their presentation, like, it, it's going to be fairly helpful in that respect. But then it's got True. its own pitfalls and pratfalls. You can attract a lot of people who are just taking it to mess with you. And right. There's a lot of problems with, with all of it. But, again, if you're aware of all the problems, you can plan for them. And then even if you can't plan for them, or control them, you can write about it in the actual study and be like, this This study, I remember running across studies before where they're basically like, there are, you know, there was a kind of uh, bias that we couldn't, we couldn't control for. So we can't really, we can't really say whether it affected this, the outcome or not. And I thought, wow, this is really refreshing yeah. and all, like even daring kind of, like I was thrilled. Um but you don't see that very often. But that, uh, from what I understand, is the direction that science is going toward now. Well, and the reason you don't see that, and it's something we'll talk about, is is what actually ends up getting published. They, it may be less likely to get published if they're like, hey, you know what? Dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. So let's do recall and acquiescence bias because they're very much related. And okay. then we'll take a break. That's our plan. What do you think of it? (laughs) Everyone says, sounds good to me. (laughs) All right. So this is also during study. And this is so in the very much the way that an interviewer can influence the outcome. The participant can actually influence the outcome, too, especially if they're being asked questions or they're they're being asked to self-report. Um, there's a couple of ways that us just being humans can foul up the works on on the findings of a study. The first is recall bias. Yeah, this is when you're, um, obviously, you're trying to recall something from the past. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what might jump out at you from your past when probed with a certain question, certain correlations that really have nothing to do with it. But you may be like, oh, well, you know what? Now that I think back, I remember around that time, Mm -hmm. I was was watching a lot of Dancing with the Stars. I kind of binged that show, so maybe that's why... I had homicidal tendencies. <laughs> I don't think you need a study to prove that. I think that's just <laughs> intuition, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, and, and if enough people do that, especially if there's something out kind of in, like, the zeitgeist about that, how, like, people who watch too much Dancing of the Stars want to kill other people, um, like, 
a number of your participants might recall that thing, whereas other people who don't watch Dancing with the Stars aren't going to recall that. And so <laughs> in, in the same way that um, survivorship bias influences it, those people who don't have that memory to recall, that memory can't possibly be included in the study results, which means that Dancing with the Stars is going to kind of percolate to the top as like a major risk factor in homicidal tendencies. Right. That's not good. You don't want you don't want Dancing with the Stars unfairly canceled. You want it to be canceled no. because it is terrible. I've never seen it. I'm sure it's great if you're into I, dancing. I, I haven't either. But watch, we're going to be asked to be on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And they'd have to change the name of the show to Dancing with the Mid-Level Internet Famous. Right, exactly. <laughs> wow. That'd I'd be a good show. Dust off my jazz shoes. <laughs> It would be us and Chocolate Rain and, you know. <laughs> I love that guy. Tejon Day is his name. Yeah, we actually met him that time, remember? He was great, man. Um, another thing, Chuck, that people, uh, that has to do with recall bias is that, um, like, we just tend to have faultier memories with stuff that makes us look bad. Like, say, unhealthy habits. Oh, sure. So, if if you're doing a study on um, junk food, and and health outcomes. And you interview a bunch of people who are in terrible health, and all of them are like, oh, I only ate, like, Cheez-Its, like, once in a blue moon or something like that. And the researcher writes, oh, once in a blue moon, Cheez-Its. Um, like, the results of the study are going to suggest that it takes just a very small amount of Cheez-Its to put you in the hospital with long-term chronic health conditions. Right. And that's that is a problem with recall bias. Like it is, it's it's the participants affecting it. In this case, because they just aren't paying attention or aren't really thinking about. No, you you've eaten a lot of Cheez-Its, and it, it takes a lot of Cheez-Its to put you in the hospital. Not a very little amount. It's not the best yeah. example, but it kind of gets the point across. I think. Now, is this part of acquiescence bias? No, that was that was the end of recall bias. Acquiescence bias is. It's different, but it's certainly related. Both of them kind of fall under an umbrella of participant bias. Yeah, and acquiescence bias, I feel like there's a the opposite, too. I just don't know if they have a name. Um, because acquiescence bias is, is generally like people, people want to be agreeable, and they want to answer in the affirmative, and they want to, uh, especially they found, um, if you are maybe less educated, you might be more willing to just go along with something and say, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, um, to maybe ap appear smarter or just to be more agreeable. I do think it's the opposite can happen too, especially with political um, research and social studies in that I think there are also people that are like, oh, you're from the what? Well, yeah, sure, I'd love to be interviewed. And then they go into it with a sort of opposite mentality where they're right. completely disagreeable no matter what anyone says or asks. Yeah, I didn't run across that, but I'm absolutely sure that that is a bias out there. But you can avoid these by doing it more smartly, right? More smartly? Yeah, there's ways that you can um, you can frame your questions. Like like people don't like to, to admit that they didn't actually vote. Right. In, American democracy. Some people. So in, instead of saying there was a there was a Pew uh, a Pew suggestion, Pew Pew, pew. Um, where they said um, it, rather than saying like did you vote in the last election, a lot of people who didn't vote are going to be like sure yeah of course why why would you ask that, um, 
instead you would phrase it as like um, in the 2012 presidential election, uh, did things come up that prevented you from voting or were you able to vote? Right. And you would probably actually want to train your researcher to use that same intonation Mm -hmm. to make it seem casual either way. Like you want to give the person a sense of comfort that they're not being judged no matter how they answer. Give them a back door. That's a good way. That's a good way to get around acquiescence bias. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The old backdoor policy. (laughs) That's right. Where you can squeeze a lemon. Right. (laughs) All right, are we taking a break? <laughs> I think we're we're mandated by the FCC to do that after that joke. All right, well, we'll be back and finish up with our final two biases right after this. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio. That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, Car and Drivers panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides. And the best part, Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955. Car and Driver's Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want. Guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Driver's Into Cars. Available wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, everybody. Summer is the perfect time for gathering with friends and family in the backyard to enjoy premium cuts of meat, fresh seasonal produce, and more. And of course, we're talking about Whole Foods Market. And speaking of that meat, 
can fire up the grill with premium cuts of meat like no antibiotics ever beef, New York strip steak, and beautifully marbled boneless beef ribeye steak. Your grill will thank you. And you can also grab and go. Whole Foods Market has grab and go favorites like packaged salads, appetizers, and sides. They're really perfect for bringing to any kind of potluck barbecue. Yes, plus don't forget dessert. Every gathering needs dessert. You can dig into limited time seasonal pies from their experts in the bakery. Or how about some adult beverages? You can always fill up that cooler with some summer beers, seltzers, sparkling wine, canned wines, and more. Must be 21 plus, of course, and please drink responsibly. So make Whole Foods Market your summer grilling destination. Uh, I also I want to apologize to all the parents who listen with their six-year-olds these days. Oh, my daughter's six. She doesn't care about what we do. That's great. So it's still just flying over her head, right? I mean, she doesn't even listen. She liked Movie Crush a little bit. Well, some kids that are six listen, and hey, shout out to all of you guys listening. No, I'm always, now. whenever I see that, whenever someone writes in that says their kid, my daughter's age, actually listens, I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> she she, this is my daughter. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and she voted in the last election, too. I'm like, uh, my daughter likes to watch videos of kids playing with toys on YouTube Kids. Is she into that now? Those are the worst videos. I'm starting to get on her now with just in terms of taste. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, you can watch something, but like watch something with a story that's good. It's like this yeah, is garbage. Have you ever seen chips? And she goes, I like, like it. <laughs> I could totally see her saying <laughs> it just like that. Dude. Very defiant and happy. That was a great impression. Uh all right. Publication bias is one. We we kind of poked around it earlier a little bit with the whole publisher parish mentality. Can I add something more to that real quick before we get into publication bias? Sure. You you don't mind? Add something to what? To the to just talking about publication in general. Oh yeah. So I don't think that it's fully grasped uh, by most people. It certainly wasn't by me until really diving into this that the academic publishing industry has a stranglehold on science right now. Yeah. In in a very similar effect that twenty four hour cable news had on like journalism. Mm-hmm. To where it was like it became this voracious beast that was willing to just spit out money constantly. Feed it. In exchange for, yeah, feed it. Give me more stories. Give me more. Give me more pundits. Give me, like, that was the rise of pundits. Pundits didn't really exist prior to that. They just hung out on the editorial pages of newspapers. And then 24-hour news came along. And there's not possibly enough news stories, like good news stories, to keep going for 24 hours. So you have to talk about the news stories and analyze them. And then you start getting into who's wrong and all that stuff. The the publishing industry is very much like that now, where it's this beast that must be fed. And so there's there can't possibly be that many high-quality scientific papers. So scientific papers have just kind of dipped down in quality. And then um, one of the other things that the publishing industry has done is said, we really like— like studies that have results. They're called positive results where like it, it turned up that, that you found a, a correlation between something or the compound you tried on that tumor shrunk the tumor. Like those are what we're interested in. That whole furthering of science with positive and negative outcomes just to say this did work, this doesn't work, don't bother trying it. We don't care about that kind of stuff. And that's a huge issue for the scientific community. Like, they have to get control of the publishing community again 
um, if if they're going to come out from under this dark cloud. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they found a, in 2010 a study about papers in social sciences especially were about two and a half, I'm sorry, 2.3 times more likely to show positive results than papers in physical sciences even. So some some bodies of research are even more apt uh, to publish positive results. And that means if you're going, you know this going into your profession and you know this right. going into your set of research and it's, you know, that's when it becomes sort of put up or shut up time as far as standing firm on doing good work, even if it doesn't get published. Right. And so that that confirmation bias can really come in where you start, hopefully inadvertently, but certainly not in all cases, inadvertently start cherry picking yeah. data to get a positive outcome where there really wasn't one there before. Or you use a, a kind of a weird statistical method to to suss out the correlation um, between the variables so that you can have a positive outcome because if you're not publishing papers, like your academic career is not progressing and you can actually like lose jobs. So you need to be published. The publishing industry wants your paper, but they just want positive outcomes. So a high quality, well-designed, well-executed study that found a negative outcome to where they said, well, this compound we tried didn't actually shrink the tumor. That's that's going to be ignored in favor of a low-quality paper that found some compound that shrunk a tumor just because they like positive outcomes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the last one. You know, there's a lot of overlap with these and a lot that work sort of in concert mm -hmm. with one another. And file drawer bias is... You know, it, it is what it sounds like. It's like you got a, a negative outcome and whether or not you were being funded by a company that definitely doesn't want that information getting out there or if it's just as a result of it being less likely to be published uh, because it doesn't have a, a positive outcome, you just stick it in the file drawer and it goes bye-bye. Right. And again, like part of the point of science and scientific publishing is to generate this body of knowledge. So if you're about to do a study, you can search and say, oh, somebody already tried the same exact thing and they found that it doesn't work. I'm going to not try to reproduce that. I'm just going to not go with it um, and move on to try something else. It's a huge waste of resources otherwise. And then also you could you can you if you aren't publishing that kind of stuff, um, you're missing out on. Well, I mean, you're missing out on the real data if the bad data is file drawered. Like you're missing out on the truth. You're missing out on the yeah. the whole picture, right? And also, again, it's not just that, oh, the poor negative outcomes, they need to be included too. Yes, that's true. But you're also promoting positive outcome studies that actually right. aren't good studies. There's this thing called the Proteus effect, where the initial studies, these initial papers on a subject, um, in 70% of cases, a follow-up study that seeks to reproduce them can't re reproduce them. They don't come to the same findings, the same conclusions, which suggests that a study was really terrible. Um, if it can't be reproduced or if it's reproduced, somebody comes to a different finding, different conclusion, that's not a good study. So the idea of publishing positive and negative outcomes together would definitely kind of slow that whole crazy 24-hour news cycle positive outcome study. Yeah, I don't uh, see appetite. how it's even legal to bury, uh, not bury, but I guess just not even 
just a file drawer, a study that included like a drug having mm-hmm. negative effects. Like, and I know that Congress has stepped up to try and pass laws to, uh, I think there was one uh, in 2007 requiring researchers to report results of human studies of experimental treatments. Uh, and then they tried mm-hmm. to strengthen that in 2016, basically this like, you know, even if your drug doesn't come to market, like we need to have these studies and the results, like how, how is it even legal? It seems like you're bearing and it's almost falsification. Well, it is for sure, because you're also like, if you're, if you're talking about studies where you have multiple studies on, say, one drug that's an antidepressant, and all you're doing is publishing the ones that have positive outcomes for that antidepressant, and you're just not publishing the ones that, that showed no outcomes or maybe even harm, then yeah, that should be illegal, especially when you're talking about something like an antidepressant or in the biomedical field. But it's certainly unethical for any field of science in particular. Just bury the stuff you don't like that doesn't support your conclusion. It's a kind of a meta form of um, confirmation bias. Yeah. Just putting aside the stuff that doesn't fit your hypothesis or your worldview and um, just promoting the stuff that does. That's right. Boo. I saw one one way around this is The Lancet, you know, the very respected medical journal. I mm-hmm. think it's British. The Lancet um, has taken to um, accepting papers based on the study design and methodology and goals. So when you first plan your study and you have it all together, before you ever start, that's when you would apply to have your paper studied and published in The Lancet. And that's when they decide whether it's a high-quality enough study to publish or not. So then they're locked into publishing your study, whether your outcome is negative or positive. And it has the knock-on effect of The Lancet basically being like, hey, this is this is a trash study. We would never publish this. Don't even bother. So it's saving funds. And then the high-quality studies are the ones that are going to get published. And then also the positive outcomes and the negative outcomes get, get published regardless because they have no idea what the outcome's going to be because they accept the paper before the paper, before the study's even been conducted. I saw another thing that said that uh, a paper would be more likely to get published in The Lancet if it had cool illustrations. That's right. That never hurts. <laughs> Everybody knows that. That's not unethical. Especially in color. Is it just put up a few of those New Yorker cartoons oh. in there. Forget about it. Everybody loves those. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. You know, this is a little soapboxy, but this is something that we believe in. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like our uh, episode on uh, the scientific method a little bit. Mm-hmm. I liked it, too. Yeah. Thanks for doing it with me, man. Thank you for doing it with me. Thank you for squeezing my lemons. Sure. Uh, if you want to know more about scientific bias, there's a lot Fortunately, a lot of sites and great articles dedicated um, to rooting that stuff out and to make you a smarter consumer of science. And uh, so go check that out and learn more about it. And since I said learn more about it, it means it's time for listener mail. Uh, You know, sometimes the listener mail dovetails quite nicely with the topic. And that was the case today Mm -hmm. with our inclusion Oh, yeah. On the media bias list, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, what an honor. Uh, you know, there's something called the media bias. Is it called the media bias list? I believe so. And it's, you know, it, what it does is it takes news outlets and newspapers and, you know, TV and stuff like that. And they just sort of, it's a big chart where they're ranked according to, like, how biased they are, you know, kind of up, down, left, and right. 
And they included podcasts this year. They did. And we were on the list. And it was really kind of cool. We had a bunch of people write in. And this is from Nicholas uh, Beto. He said, I found this post while I was scrolling through Facebook uh, and waiting for the NFL season to start. Uh, Add Fonts Media. Is it Fonts or Fontes? We should know this. I'm not sure. One of the two. It's I'm going to say Fonts. It's a watchdog organization known for the media bias chart. Um, they do a media bias chart where they rank every news outlet's political bias. And in the recent update, they included you guys. And wouldn't you know it, the most politically fair piece of media you can possibly consume and all of the known universe is stuff you should know. That is so cool. Uh, you guys say you're liberal, but until I heard Chuck outright state it, I didn't even know. Wow. Uh, well, I think, I think it slips through there some. Well, yeah, we're... We're certainly human beings, and we have yeah. our own biases, but we definitely try to keep them in check. As, we try to. And I think it's, it's just really been confirmed, because they're not just like, listen to a couple of shows, and oh, we see these guys seem okay. Like, they really listen, and they really rank people. Um, yeah. They probably saw that, too, or perhaps they listened to the North Korea episode, where Josh suggested Wolf Blitzer apply hot paper clips to his inner thighs while writing a nice piece on Trump's Korean relations. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Either way, thank you guys for your fairness and hilarity all, uh, all these years. You're both the best. That is from Nicholas Beto. Thanks a lot, Nicholas. Thanks to everybody who wrote in to say that they saw that. We appreciate it. Uh, and it was neat to see ourselves right in the middle of the rainbow. Love being in the middle of that rainbow. I do too, Chuck. It's nice and warm and cozy in there, isn't it? Yes. Well, if you want to get in touch with us like Nicholas and the gang did, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same-day appointments, and if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24-7 virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy, so after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. Now, waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P.com. Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited double miles on every purchase every day. And you can use those miles on any travel purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5X miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. Your next trip is closer than you think. 
with the Venture Card from Capital One. Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.